0: Thank you so much for being here today. This is a glorious day to be in church. It's such a privilege to come together and to worship the Lord, to study His Word. It's the greatest privilege that God has given any single one of us, just the chance to be able to grab a hold of His garment, so to speak, and to feel like we've touched the very hem of our Lord's garment. Today, I think it's one of those times... Last week, I told you, someone came to me and said, you know, we don't have communion very often. And I said, you know, you're right. I I kind of get tunnel visioned, you know, and I study and study the best I know how. And sometimes I forget the broader picture. And so when anyone asks me, I I figure, let's have communion. I say, let's have communion. So we had communion last week. And as I was studying this week, I thought, wow, this is a real perfect place for communion as well. So we're going to have communion again today. I'm, I'm going to ask you to prepare your heart. This message that Paul gives us today out of the book of Ephesians, the third chapter, is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. This whole book has been incredible up to this point in my life. It's it's doing its work in my heart. It's changing me little by little. And it's such a wonderful place. And this place in the Word of God in the third chapter, um, I wanted to read from verses 1 through 13 as you'll see we'll read through those verses but it's not the the key of what is being mentioned there paul's going to talk about a mystery the mystery of being the church that that he talked about in brief and that mystery is he's going to allow us to see as he has set up the whole the whole thought process of what the church looks like how there's unity and love within the family of god but first paul makes a statement that if if we're reading through the Bible and, and you look at this, this verse, you might read through it and say, oh, you know, and you just kind of pass and walk by it, but we really cannot do that. We really cannot in fairness to Paul, but in fairness of what it means as you go deeper into the Word of God, you must look at this verse in, in its entirety. And so we're going to do that this morning. As much as I wanted to go through the 13th verse, 13 verses, it would be an injustice to God's Word to do that. Now, let's turn, please, with me to Ephesians chapter 3. As you'll see up on the screen, the the title is The Church Revealed. I mean, I'm not good at picking titles. You already know that. If I could, I, I think I would have entitled this message, What is Holding You Back? We're going to see, I think, what the meaning of that is in a moment or two as we prepare our hearts for communion. But first, we... We need to come to where Paul reveals a mystery. He mentions in verse 9 that he's going to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for all ages has been hidden in God, but now is being revealed. It is the church revealed which God gave to bring all of us together. Together in love, together in unity, to be at peace with Him, To be at peace with one another, to be at peace with ourselves. That is the purpose of church. The purpose of of our gathering together like this is to worship the Lord our God. And Craig, you and the musicians and the singers did such a beautiful job, in my opinion, of bringing us to that place of worship. We worship our God in love, we worship him to remember, we worship him to celebrate what he has done for us. Therefore, as we go through this message, I want you to prepare your hearts for communion today. But first, we saw first and foremost that Jesus Christ brings us together so we might be at peace with God. The most important the most important thing that you and I can ever do with our lives is to get us to a place where we are at peace with God. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, he said these words, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is Jesus Christ who not only brings us together with God the Father, But He allows us to be at peace with one another. We read in in chapter 2 of Ephesians, from verses 11 to 22, but especially verse 14. Maybe you remember. It says, for He Himself, talking of Jesus Christ, He Himself is our peace, who has made both groups into one. And He has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall. Now, naturally that was speaking of Jew and Gentile. He broke down that dividing wall and brought the two together. They were like water and oil. But Jesus Christ brought the two together. But this can also mean in the broader sense that that, that Jesus Christ brings all of us together, regardless of our race, regardless of our, 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 our status in the society in which we live. We are all one in Christ. And He has broken down any barriers that might divide us. And so the rock-solid foundation of, of all churches, not just this church, we don't have uh, the right to, to sell other churches what to do, but the right we do here is to set our goals on Jesus Christ. He and He alone. Paul said as much in this great book of Ephesians. Remember chapter 1, verse 22? He said, He, God, put all things in subjection under His, Jesus Christ's feet. And He gave Jesus Christ as head over all things to the church. He is the head of the church. So it is with us. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul writes, The church, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being our cornerstone. And so He is the foundational cornerstone. He is the head of all churches. All churches that open their doors to worship God must be done through Jesus Christ and He alone. He is the true foundation of any and all true churches. So any any group, religious, any cult that gathers, gathers together to build its foundation upon any other name... Well, Paul has some stern words to those people. He said in Galatians chapter 1, remember last week, um, one of the places that, that sets Paul so apart for me, um, the reason I, one of the reasons I love him so much. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, he started off by saying, I am amazed. And then he went on to say, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him for another gospel, which he says there is a not, and there is no other. And then he goes on to say, I think it was in verses 8 and 9, he says, Look, if, if we were to come back to you, or if an angel himself were to come from heaven and preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preached, remember what he said? He said, Let that one be what accursed damned as if they didn't hear him the first time he says as i say to you i say again if anyone would come to you to preach a gospel contrary to what we preached let that one be accursed and so paul has set this tone for who we are as a church. He has allowed us to know that we have no right to vary from this, the Word of God. This is everything to to us. It should be everything to every church. To go to a church that doesn't open its Bible and study through the Word of God, word upon word, line upon line, is an injustice to our Lord. We must teach as the apostles and the prophets passed down to us from church to church, to church, from generation to generation to generation. And now we have that privilege laid in our laps. And what we pass on to the next generation is critical. Critical not only to them, but to what we do concerning our walk and our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And so I would love for you to read with me, please ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 13 but i must confess to you we are going to concentrate mostly on paul in verse 1 but let's read them all at least the first 13 verses now before i start to read paul's going to start this chapter by saying for this reason in fact if you look at verse 14 he continues on this theme for this reason well when you come to that you must ask what reason paul What reason? What what reason are you talking about? What he's talking about is he's just talked about, in brief, the church and how we are to be together in unity, how we are to to be in love with one another. He's just taught us not so much who we are in Christ, but he just taught us who God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are in our lives. Remember in chapter 1, it says that God the Father in the distant, far distant past... has has allowed us to be holy and blameless. And then we learn in that same first chapter that, that God the Son in the present has allowed us to have our sins forgiven. He has redeemed us now so that we can be holy and blameless before God. And so Jesus Christ at the cross has paid the price, shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sin. And then we learned in the first chapter, the 13th and the 14th verses, that that God the Holy Spirit takes care of our future. He will present us before God when that day comes. He has sealed us. And so we are taken care of. And so, because of this, Paul writes in this third chapter, let's read it now, verse 1, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, he writes in verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and are fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus Through the gospel of which, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. In verse 8, Paul writes to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Therefore, He says, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. I want to remind you of that verse in a little while. He says, I don't want you to worry about my tribulations They are on your behalf and they are for your glory. What a statement by Paul. What a man of God Paul is. Let's take a a little closer look at him. Let's see why he ought to be a tremendous example for those of us who try to walk with Christ as closely and as, as closely as we can. Let's watch. First, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the music. I want to thank you for uh, our chance to worship you, to, to gather together as a group of believers. Father, we come from various parts of this, this land of yours, this, this place here from Yorba Linda to Placentia to Orange County, wherever we're from, Father. It matters not. We, we gather together to, for one purpose in mind, and that is to worship your holy and your righteous name. We wish to praise you, Father, for who you are, for there is none like you. I, I desire with all of my heart, perhaps, Father, more than... than um, well, I-, I just desire with all my heart, Father, that this message would be as clear as you could possibly make it. And so I ask, Lord, please, would you move me aside? Would you do us the greatest privilege that any person could ever ask for? And as it says in the book of Psalms, Father, would you open up our eyes And I might add our hearts and our thoughts and our minds that you would open up all that we are, that we might behold wonderful things from your law, the very written words of our Bibles that we hold. Father, may we understand what it is that you want to say to us today. With the Holy Spirit of God, move upon us and convict us if need be. Comfort it, yes, comfort us, Father. Conform us, dear Lord, into the image of your Son. Would you move upon us, Father, as only you can. And for that to take place, I ask humbly, Father, that you would move me aside. Please, let me not be a hindrance to what you want to say to each and every single heart that is here this morning. Mine included, of course, Father. Teach us. Mold us, dear Father. Allow us to see the the privilege that we have walking with you because of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in that wonderful name, the name of Jesus Christ, that you gave to us for the forgiveness of our sins. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we say Amen. And thank you, Father. Paul begins, verse 1, chapter 3. He begins with the words, For this reason... well." he goes back to this thought again in verse 14. It's almost as if he he kind of takes a turn. He, he wants to tell them about the church. And he wants to say so much. But in verse 14, he goes back to saying, for this reason, and he says in verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father. He wants to pray for us. And that is exactly what he's going to do. But first... First, he wants to reveal a mystery that was given to him by God concerning what now we understand as church. He wants to reveal a truth that he told us once in brief, he said, but he wants to expand upon the truth that he taught briefly in chapters 1 and 2 about unity within the body of Christ. It's here that the Spirit of God has Paul reveal the church which has been, as we mentioned in verse 9, remember, a mystery which for ages has been hidden in God. And then verse 10 says, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. What people see, what people understand about God is, is revealed through us. We have the most wonderful privilege as believers in Jesus Christ to reveal to this world in which we live, what does God look like? Some people will never step foot in the church, but they might see the very manifold wisdom of God through us. And so Paul is saying, and God is saying, look, we need to have unity. We need to have love for one another. Certainly they're not going to be able to see God if we are at odds with each other. We must have love within the body of Christ. There must be a f- sense of unity so that we might present to the world the true picture of of our Lord and our Savior and of God. And so in between verses 1 and 14, Paul re- reveals this mystery of Jesus Christ, namely His glorious church. Paul writes in verse 6, I want to be specific, he says in verse 6, basically that all people, namely he mentions the Gentiles, are fellow heirs, their fellow members of the body, the body being the church. And they are fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Paul is perhaps the most dominant figure in the New Testament apart from Jesus Christ. He wrote at least 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. Through Paul, you and I have the most complete, composite, An understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was used by God mightily to reveal many mysteries. He writes of one here in chapter 3, namely the church. Look ahead with me. We won't get there for a while, but look at chapter 5. Look at verse 32. He's going to reveal another mystery. He says concerning marriage... He says, this mystery, chapter 5, verse 32, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. And what we will learn when we get to the f- fifth chapter is what we had as a privilege to learn when we were at the retreat, those of us who went as couples. But now we'll all be able to see this. And what we're going to learn is the reflection of a man's love for his wife. We are to love our wives like, like what, like how? Christ loved the church. What we're going to see is through that reflection, we will see the love of Christ for the church as we'll see through a marriage. And he says, that was a mystery before. People didn't understand, but now they do. But first, let's begin with Paul. He was, as we look at verse 1, a prisoner. At this time, when he wrote this, He had been in prison for now approximately five years. We learn from Acts chapter 21 through Acts chapter 28. Two years he spent in Caesarea. The remaining three years he is now in Rome in prison. I mention this so that you and I might see Paul's faith in action. Found in verse 1. As I said to you, We might read through something and really not look at it. But let's look. Because we read that Paul wasn't just a prisoner. But note, he was a prisoner of whom? He was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Watch this now. It's quite important. Although Paul was imprisoned by Caesar... He was brought to Rome to go on trial before Caesar by some Jewish antagonists who wanted Paul dead. They brought him from Caesarea to Rome because it was in Rome where they could have put the death sentence upon Paul. And yet, Paul, by his own words, his own heart, his own thoughts, say, I'm not imprisoned by Caesar I'm not imprisoned by Rome. I'm not even imprisoned by my enemies who brought me here to put me on trial. No, he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And for what reason? For the Gentiles. In other words, the church. He says, I've been brought here by some evil men who have done me an injustice. But I'm not prisoned by them. I'm not in prison because of Caesar. I'm not in prison because I'm in Rome. Jesus Christ has brought me here to be a prisoner. Even though you might miss everything that I say, I don't want you to miss these thoughts that are coming up. Paul... Saw himself completely and totally in the hands of his Savior, not other people. What, what was it that Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11? He says, I don't want to speak from want. He says, I have learned, I have learned, he says, to be content. What have you learned, Paul? What does it mean to be content, Paul? He says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find in myself. In other words, Paul is saying, because I am in the hands of my God who is in control of my life, I've learned to be content wherever He has placed me. Listen, my family, people I love so much, It would do all of us, you and me, well if we could see our lives and we could see our circumstances all in the hands of our God instead of someone or something else. Whatever it might be that has brought you and me to wherever we are today, whatever the situation may be that you find yourself today, I believe your circumstances And its purpose for what you are going through will be much more clear if we could only see it through the eyes of our God. You see, whatever Paul did, wherever Paul went, whoever took Paul to wherever he was, whatever happened to Paul, whether it be good, bad, or indifferent, Paul saw it all as having to first pass through the hands and the eyes and the will of his God otherwise it wouldn't happen you see Paul saw himself completely under the control of Jesus Christ Paul saw that without the Lord's consent nobody absolutely nobody could lay a hand on him and so this first truth that we see in verse 1 Is almost hidden away. It's almost tucked away here. A prisoner of Jesus Christ. Is that just a statement? Or is that truth? If all you see, if all I see, if all we see in and through our lives are our circumstances, then our circumstances will more than likely control us. Look, if if Paul only saw his circumstances of being imprisoned by some of his enemies, then his imprisonment for these five years could have destroyed his ministry, could have destroyed his life. No, he didn't see it that way. He saw himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not as circumstances. Look, he could have been like, well, let's say me. He could have pouted. He could have been embittered. Oh God, I have been trying with all my heart to serve You and this is what You do for me. And perhaps, just perhaps, He would have not written the New Testament books that He has written that has changed all of our lives. Imagine the tragedy for us and for Paul had he pouted, been discouraged over what was happening to him. Don't don't be mistaken. I've said this to you before. Listen, if Paul would have taken that route, God would have gotten the New New Testament completed. If you and I pout and become embittered, he will do as he's going to do. We will not thwart his plans. But Paul bless his heart, would have missed all the blessings. Could it be that our pouting and being embittered and getting angry with God has allowed us to miss some of the blessings that God has placed before us? Listen, don't forget the fact that Paul understood. Listen what he said again in verse 13. It's amazing, is it not? He says, therefore, I'm going to ask you, don't lose heart at my tribulations. Don't lose heart at my trials on your behalf because they're for your glory. Look at some of the things that you and I go through. As bad as they might appear on the surface, the way that we go through whatever it is that God has given to us to go through might affect another person deeply, either for the good or maybe not for the good listen god had only if excuse me if paul had only seen his outward circumstances he could have quickly given up could he not he could have thought that his life was in the hands of rome or caesar or his enemies <laughs> he might have long ago given up in despair, thinking that God had long ago given up on him. But no, no, not at all, folks. Verse 1 is a great verse. Paul's perspective was a divine perspective. Paul chose, get that, that's important, Paul chose, it was his choice to live in total trust and total faith of his Savior. He knew that he was in the hands of God Almighty, so he knew he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not anyone else but his God. That's who he was in control of. Now, listen to this. When Paul wrote these words, he didn't know the outcome. He didn't know his future, did he? He didn't fully understand all that God had before him. How long or how hurtful or what would be the outcome of this imprisonment. He didn't know. The only thing that Paul really knew by faith was that his future and his outcome, his afflictions every aspect of his life were in the hands of the one who loved him more than anyone else on this earth or in heaven itself. I wrote down for me and I write down to say to you, can you see that for yourself regardless of your circumstance? Hear this please. Paul lived his life in total trust of his Lord. Paul lived by faith and not by sight. In fact, he even penned those words in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. He says, we walk by faith and not by what? Ah, exactly. And Paul penned these words and he lived those words. We live by faith, not by sight. And so he realized what he saw, what was circling around him, although he may not understand it all, he realized that God was ultimately in control. So he also wrote in Romans 8.28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Paul understood what you and i perhaps need to learn therefore james was able to write these words in james chapter 1 verses 2 3 and 4 i smile and laugh a little bit because i'm still wrestling with james's idea he says consider it all joy my brother when you encounter various trials oh whoop de do james <laughs> consider it all joy johnny When you go through all these trials, and I look up and I say, Why? Why should I consider what I'm going through joy? Because, he says, knowing that the testing of your faith is going to produce endurance. And I said, so what? Well, he writes further in verse 4, Well, let the endurance that you receive have its perfect results, so that you might be perfect, you might be complete, And you will be lacking in nothing. So God has a purpose for everything we go through. We just have to see it through His eyes rather than ours. Now those are just words that I just read you or they are the truth. I choose to believe like Paul. They're truth. And how you and I go through whatever it is that we are going through is going to bear an impact upon what you and I become when we get on the other side of this trial that we are going through. How you see your circumstances today, do they control you? Or are your circumstances controlled by God for His glory? Our attitude, our joy, our growth will ride upon the outcome of our decision concerning this matter that we are talking about this morning. You see, verse 1, can't be rushed by. Cannot. It is a great issue, not only within this chapter, as we look at the words that Paul is saying to us, but it is a great issue within your life and my life, how we go through this thing called life, because every single one of us are going to go through a trial to one degree or another and upon the trials will ride the outcome of what or who is controlling our life as we go through it i, I wrote down a couple of things but almost i don't almost want to say them but let me just since i wrote it that the sickness that you or your loved one has the mate your mate Or your kids or your parents, how you are treated or how things are going. Your finances in this day and age. Or the job that perhaps you have lost. That's enough of that. Whatever it might be, only you really know what you're going through. If it is in your hands and you want to hold it in your hands, I will tell you this, you're in for a bumpy ride. But if you allow God to be controlled, if you allow it to be in His hands, one day you will see the reason for it all. I'm not saying you're going to find out the answer today, nor tomorrow, or maybe not in a, even in a month. It might be years. Just like Paul. But let's look and see what Paul writes concerning something like this. Look at Philippians. Now, just move away from... Ephesians will be there next week, but look at to the next book to the right. Look at Philippians chapter four. And, and and gentlemen, would you mind passing out the the bread and the wine, or the juice in our case? And and just kind of if if you're passing it uh, to one another, just kind of listen and, and 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 listen to what Paul says to us and. Philippians chapter 4. It's a fabulous place in the Word of God. He's talking about going through difficulties here again. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. And guys, as soon as you're ready, come on up and start passing it out. He says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The word rejoice there, oh God, Al, thank you so much. I forgot all about that. Thank you so much. Love you, brother. He says in verse 4 of chapter 4 of Philippians, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The word rejoice there means find your joy. I, I told you about this friend of mine that calls me once in a while. He hasn't called me in quite a while. In fact, I'm going to call him in a couple of days. If he doesn't call. And he always asks me sometime during the conversation, "Has anyone, Have you allowed anyone to steal your joy? Always asks that question. And Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always I say rejoice, or find your Lord or find your joy there. He says in verse five, Let your forebearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Therefore he writes in verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication. Supplication means specific, being specific about what you pray for. If 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 your elbow hurts, don't say you gotta hurt somewhere. Let the Lord know right where it hurts. Be specific. By prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The reason you can do that with a thankful heart is because you are going to prayer to the only and the very one who can fix it. Let your prayers be known with thanksgiving to God. And so he writes in verse 7, The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you're going through difficulties. Let, Don't be anxious, but by prayer let everything, and be specific with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And God's peace, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, he says in verse 8, and I believe verse 8 is all about our Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, or pure, or lovely, or of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind, he says, dwell on these things. Things. And so, if you and I are going through anything that is difficult, if we are going through a trial that seems to be overbearing, we need to recognize that that trial is not because of some other thing or some other person. We are going through whatever it is we're going through with Christ. We are prisoners of His. So, we're to let our minds dwell on these things, the things of God, things that are true and pure and lovely and of good repute, excellent of praise and and worthy. And then he says in verse 9, these things that you have learned, these things that you have learned and received and you've heard and you've seen in me, Paul says, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. As you and I consider the difficulties that maybe surround us in this day in which we live, we need to see that our circumstances aren't in control of us. God is. So when Jesus Christ was with His disciples at what is commonly known the Last Supper, the time that they had communion, He told them, Somewhere in the middle of the meal, he said, uh, this bread, this is my body, he said to them. and He said, this will be given to, for you. He says, whenever you eat of this, I want you to eat of it in remembrance of me. Later on in the meal, he told them about the wine. He said, this wine is my blood. It shall be shed for you. He said, a, a new covenant I give to you, he said. That new covenant is the forgiveness of sin. He says, whenever you drink of it, Drink of it in remembrance of me. And so Paul writes in Philippians, let your mind dwell on the things of God. Don't let your mind dwell on your problems. Don't think that your circumstances are being controlled by others. Be like Paul. Allow yourself to be a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Allow Him to... To have that first place in your life that we spoke about last week. And so as we take this bread and we think about what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. Allowing himself to be nailed upon a cross. Giving his body up for us. Whenever we eat of this bread, let's do so in remembrance of who he is. On the other hand, when we look at the juice or the wine, we consider the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. We consider that He has shed this blood so that we might have the forgiveness of our sins. Amazing, isn't it? Not only your sins now, but the sins that you've done, the sins that you may be doing, the sins even in your future, they have been they have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so whenever you take of this cup and you drink of this juice or wine, remember, remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. Father, to understand the very essence of who you are is overwhelming. It really is. It it goes beyond anything that we could ever hope or dream of. So much of what we, we know and so much of what we try to be is by faith, Father. It's things that we really cannot see. We walk not by sight, but by faith. That's the truth of it. Paul writes it. And yet he explains as clearly as he knows how that Even though he was in Rome and been in prison for some five years, he didn't see himself a prisoner of Rome, nor Caesar, nor of the Jews that chased him down. He simply and purely saw himself in his circumstances as a a prisoner of yours. May we understand that concept, Father. May we not walk through another moment of whatever it is that we are going through thinking that we're going through it alone or that somebody else did this for us or they were mean to us. No, let's see it for the purity of what it is. Nothing and no one can lay a glove on us if it doesn't pass through your hands. So, Father, we want to trust in you for all things. We want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for who you are. We do this communion, Father, together collectively to remember the very essence of who you are and what you've done for every single one of us. And, Father, it really would be impossible, Father, for us to thank you enough. But I believe it's sufficient for us to just thank you as we can, humanly speaking, to give you thanks for your love for us and your care for us. Let not our circumstances take us away from the very joy of your love. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. May I tell you, I love you with all of my heart. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for being here. I love you so much. God bless you.